The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the 2018 Established Summer Training Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. Cool. Okay, so um, I don't need to introduce myself. I've been up here a couple of times. Um, so just to refresh on what we talked about yesterday. So Nirmal talked about, well, we gave an intro, what is gender, what does gender do? Gender is God's idea, gender glorifies God, and men and women specifically image God in two different ways. Um, So one thing that I want to just address before I get into talking about femininity um, is something that I feel like could be going on in your heart as a girl when you're hearing this talk. Um, Nirmal talked last night about how there's kind of two directions you can go with gender. You can diminish it and um, sort of act as if it doesn't exist, or you can um, pigeonhole it. You can put really narrow constraints on what gender is, even more narrow than the Bible, and sort of create a cultural, have a cultural standard and make that um, something that you believe that Christian women should adhere to. So um, I think that when I, when I think about pigeonholing, I think that it definitely happens with guys and girls. Like, there are certain cultural stereotypes that kind of make their way into the church, and it's like, this is what it means to be a man, or this is what it means to be a woman. And um, I think that um, I just want you ladies to hear as I'm sharing that I actually think the Bible leaves a lot of room for what it means to be a woman who reflects God's glory. So I think there's a lot of different places in the Bible where you see femininity express itself in different ways. Um, and there can be women's talks that you hear that focus on what you can't do, like this is what it means to be a woman, don't wear this, or don't act like this, or don't say this. And I think that the Bible actually is full of a lot of yeses for women, like this is who you are, and this is how you reflect God, and this is what it means um, to live out of biblical femininity. And so um, this isn't a talk about what you can and can't do, but this is more of a talk about how we think you reveal God and how you reveal God specifically to this broken world and how Jesus redeems the fears that we have as women. So, um, yeah, I think the Bible actually leaves a lot of room for different types of women to glorify God and reflect his glory. So if you look at Proverbs 31, I don't, I'm not going to unpack it right now, but it's actually really interesting. You should go look at it. Um, there's a lot of different descriptions in Proverbs 31 about what, what this woman is doing. And it's, um, it's wisdom literature. I don't necessarily think it's talking about a real woman. But if you, if you read through Proverbs 31, you look at it and you think, goodness sake, she's doing a lot of things. She's interacting with her family. She's selling property. She's rising at dawn. She's weaving. It's like, goodness sakes, this is like a really high standard of what it means to be a woman. Like, who could meet this? But I actually think that the reason so many different things are listed in Proverbs 31 is that it's giving a broad picture. Here are different ways that you can reflect God. Here's a, here are different ways that you can be a godly woman. And so I think Proverbs 31 and a, and a handful of other verses in the Bible paint a picture that isn't saying, um, here's a pigeonhole view of femininity, but God has created you and created you with strength and dignity and beauty, and you reflect him, and you could be selling um, purple cloth like Lydia in the Bible. She was a businesswoman, or um, you could be a housekeeper like Martha in the Bible as well. There's a lot of... Nice. <laughs> um, sorry, I wasn't trying to shame you. That's, it's fine that that happened. Um, so, um, yeah, there's just a, a lot of different examples of women in the Bible, and, and I wouldn't want you to hear the things that I say, because 
just like normal, we're gonna make some, I'm gonna make some statements that I think this is femininity or femininity looks like this, but I don't want you to hear it and close off your heart and say, oh, that's just a, a stereotype of women or here's just another, you know, pigeonholed idea of what it means to be a woman. But um, again, we're trying to paint with a broad brush and say, here are ways that we think you glorify God and how Jesus redeems our fears. So that's just a little disclaimer. So um, we're going to go through the same outline. I have the same outline that Nirmal did, only it's for girls. So we're going to talk about um, what we reveal about God and then um, talk about specific ways that we image him, and then we're going to kind of unpack some of the core fears of women. So um, what we reveal about God. So what women reveal about God, we believe that women reflect a God who beautifully displays who he is and then invites and draws people to himself. So another way that you could word it, because that's kind of a um, long <laughs> sentence, a long thought, but a, a maybe shorter way to, to word it would be women reflect God in their desire to be seen and wanted. So we can just leave it up there for a second. I hate it when I'm trying to take notes and people fly through their slides, so just sit on it for a second. So um, God is like that. God um, is a God who beautifully invites people and draws people to himself. So God is seen, um, God is seen for who he is, and people are drawn to him. So a woman is like God in her, de- in her desire to draw people to herself. So she's reflecting his glory. So um, Zach actually said this in a training that he did a couple days ago, but he talked about, um, this is how he, basically he said, this is how God works. He shows his glory. He shows us his glory. And as that's lifted up, as he's lifted up, um, as his glory is on display, that draws people to him. And as he was saying that, I was like, yeah, I think that that's the way that women reflect God. Um, And I have a handful of verses that um, I think, there's actually a lot more than what I'm going to share, but I think there's it's a theme that plays out over and over again in scripture, is God shows his glory, God shows who he is, and the vision of who he is, the, the picture of who he is, um, draws people. It invites people to him. And so we talked about a little bit of the paradoxes last night. I think that men reveal the pursuit of God, the, normal said, incarnational pursuit of God, and women reveal a display of glory and an invitation. So a couple of verses that talk about it. Um, John 12, 32 says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So this is Jesus talking. And he's actually talking about the cross um, when he says lifted up from the earth. <laughs> otherwise, out of context, it's a little weird. But um, Jesus is saying, when I am lifted up on the cross, when people see me for who I am on the cross, because the cross displays so much about Jesus. It displays that he's, I mean, it's the gospel. He's laying down his life to draw sinners into his family. But the cross displays so much about his mercy and compassion and his bravery and his courage. And he's saying, when I'm lifted up, when people see me and see who I am on the cross, that's going to draw people to myself. So I think, um, I think that's one way um, that God um, is, a, is showing that glory and then drawing. Um, another verse is Psalm 27.4. It says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So again, you see a play out. This person, the person that's writing the psalm, is gazing on the beauty of the Lord and inquiring, asking of, moving towards God in his temple. Um, One more verse. This is Jesus again. In Matthew 11, 28, it says, Come to me, all who labor. Another translation would say, all who are weary. 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus is opening his arms to the world and saying, um, I am a God who gives you rest, so come to me. So again, Jesus is showing the world what he's like and drawing people to himself. So um, I could spend actually a lot more time here, but I think that um, in order to understand that women reflect God in this way, I think that that this is something that would be a really good thing to continue to meditate on in your life is to say, okay, how do I see this theme playing out in scripture? God um, shows us who he is, he shows us his glory, and people move towards him. But I think that um, the imaging and being seen, we image God in being seen and then drawing. It seems like um, that's a, a deep desire in women, and we th- I think that that really shows itself in who God is. So um, the the imaging God by being seen and drawing is actually seen right away in the garden. Um, do you have that verse? Okay, that's fine. Um, so <clears throat> it's not really important. Basically, um, when God creates Eve, most of you know the story. <laughs> I think that's the scariest noise. Um, when God creates Eve, he, take, he takes a rib out of Adam, makes her, and then brings Eve to Adam. And basically, um, he, if you look in your Bible, like the way that, the, that that verse when he sees Eve is laid out, it's sort of indicative of it being like poetry or like a song. So if you look, it's not, um, it's hard to explain. But basically, if you look at the way that section of the Bible is laid out in Genesis, you can tell Adam is bursting out into a poem or a song when he sees Eve. So there's something about him seeing Eve that <laughs> evokes a sense of he's singing or, or saying a poem. Basically, he's bursting forth with love for her. And what he says is, um, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And so he's seeing Eve for the first time. And he's, like, there's so many things he could have said. He could have been like, wow, she's really pretty. Or, um, I'm so glad, thanks God. Like, I just feel like there are a lot of things that he could say. Um, But what he says is indicating that he's seeing her. So he's saying, wow, she is like me. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This woman was made um, in a way that she's like me, but she's not like me. And, um, and that's coming out of him in poetry or song. And I just think that's a really, um, a really beautiful thing that he sees her and he responds to her and then he moves towards her. The next verse um, in that passage in Genesis says, and the two shall become one flesh. And so you see he sees her and then the very next part says, and basically, and they got married <laughs> in um, PG terms. So um, he sees, <laughs> Moses shocked. Um, so, um, so Adam sees her and, and he, res- <laughs> and Moses will never get over it. Um, and he responds to her and he moves towards her. And I think that that is a way, I think you're, that as you read this, you're supposed to say, oh, like, she is imaging God. She shows who she is, and he sees and understands her, and he moves towards her. Um, and it isn't just, a, again, it isn't just a seeing her with his eyes. It's an understanding who she is, and that draws Adam to Eve. Um, so the de- desire to be seen and to draw people to herself shows the world what God is like. Um, and when you, when you hear that, when I was actually, like, preparing this talk and thinking about it, it actually seems a little bit like a self-centered thing. Um, and we'll talk about how sin creeps in after the fall. But in its purest form, this is actually a really beautiful and God-glorifying thing. So it's actually a really beautiful thing that a woman would say, I want to draw people to myself. I want to show who I am. I want to 
um, interact with the world, like it talked about in the earlier slides, in a beautiful and inviting way, and I want to draw people in. Um, so in its purest form, I really do think it's a beautiful and God-glorifying thing. And there are so many ways, which we'll talk about later, that sin can creep in, and it becomes about us and not about God um, and reflecting God. But I really do think that um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that it's really deep in the heart of women, the desire to be seen. And not just, not just seen, but to be seen for who they really are um, and for people to move towards that. So um, it's not just a physical seeing. I said that before with Eve, but it's not just a physical seeing. Although I think that really is a deep desire in women. Like I think that um, just if you look at advertisements, especially advertisements geared towards women, what are most of the things being sold? Cosmetics, yeah. Or a little bit broader, like beauty products, clothing, like everything, most things um, in advertising geared towards women are make yourself more beautiful. And so advertisers know what's going on with people. That's their job. They're supposed to figure out what goes on with people and then cater their product to people. And so I think the fact that that's most of what we're seeing means that at, at least in most women is a desire to be beautiful. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing either. I think that beauty reflects God. But I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we want something deeper than just being um, seen for our physical beauty. We want something more than drawing people just to our physical beauty. So this is another question that might shock um, Mose a little bit. But how many girls, and it's actually kind of serious, but how many girls in this room have been catcalled? Raise your hand. Okay. So probably most girls. Actually, raise your hand really high because that was all really sheepish. Yeah, me too. Okay, so when that happened, do you feel seen and wanted? No. Why? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. What are other words that makes you feel? Like meat? Like I'm object? Yep. So you're being seen. Like you're definitely being seen. And you're being very <laughs> explicitly told how you're being seen, but you don't really feel like you're being seen, I guess, in the, in the way that you want to be. At least it's not, it, I don't feel like I'm being seen the way I want to be. And the reason is, it's because he doesn't know you. So when I walk down the street and someone yells at me, it's like, you don't know that I'm, well, number one, married. <laughs> um, and you don't know what I like to do. You don't know how I grew up. You don't know the things that make me happy. And you're interacting with me in a way that's affirming or at least um, commenting on something about me, but you actually don't know me at all. And so you end up feeling cheap, um, probably a little bit afraid, because he isn't really seeing you, and he isn't really wanting you. And that's the thing that feels so cheap about it. He doesn't want you. He wants something that you can give him that's physical. And so I think that that... Thinking about that makes me understand, okay, there's something that women want. You know, all, all the ads are saying, this is what, if, you know, if you get this product, you're going to feel better. If you get this, these clothes or if you use the shaving cream or, you know, all the different things that are. Um, I saw an advertisement actually the other day for Bic pens that were pink, and they were called hers. <laughs> awesome. I hate blue pens. No, but, um, but I just think, like, there's... There, that that's actually has nothing to do with what I'm, I don't know why I said that. So, um, but all these things that are being, um, being sold to you are saying you want to be more beautiful, but I don't think what, I think what the, the people that are doing the advertising don't understand is that there's something way deeper that we want, and it's not just to be seen physically, it's to be known, it's to be known for who we are. Um, 
and to be seen in a, in a deeper way. Um, so I think the best friendships, romantic stories, mothers, sisters, grandmothers, I think all of the best of those things, um, they all, all of those people and all of those stories come from a good desire to be seen and wanted. So what does that actually look like? So um, a couple of examples would be a mother longing for her children to know and see that she loves them, and then for her to invite them to come and be comforted by her and be loved by her when they're sad. I think that's a good and God-glorifying picture of what it means to be seen and then to invite. Um, another example would be a single woman who wants to be seen for her sense of humor and interests, and that being seen in that way would draw a man to love and want her. I think that's another way um, that that good um, cycle plays out. Or another example would be a woman who loves to ask questions and draw other friends into her friend group. I think that glorifies God. I think that's a picture of what God's like. Or an artist who wants to show a specific way that she sees the world and to cre create art that would invite people into seeing the world through the same lens that she sees. So I think those are all, I mean, I could list a lot more, but I think those are all ways that um, women are imaging a God who says, this is who I am, come to me. And I think that's actually a really beautiful thing. So they all, all of these examples are showing the world that God, again, created two, well, <laughs> created two genders and um, to show different parts of himself. And as a woman showing, we invite and draw people to ourselves because God's like that. So then something goes wrong. Um, something goes very wrong in the garden. Um, Adam and Eve sin, and basically the world starts to spiral out of control. So... Um, if you read in Genesis, Adam and Eve are locked out of the garden. So before, when Adam and Eve are imaging God, they're showing the world what God's like, and they're regularly interacting with God. Their deepest needs are being met. They're living in perfection. There's no sin. And so, of course, imaging God in the garden looks really beautiful and perfect and easy, but what happens is... God's good design, the way he made men and women to reflect him, because in sin we've turned in on ourselves, even our desires that should be to give God glory turn in on ourselves. So what started as a way to reflect God has become a way to fill our emptiness. So my good desire to be seen and to draw people to myself and in turn to draw people towards a God who sees them turns in on me, and I say I'm empty and I need to be seen um, and we're locked out of the garden, so there isn't a daily sense of God sees me. And so I think that women interact with the world out of need and out of a need to fill their emptiness because we aren't with God, and we're locked out of the garden, and we're sinners. So all of those things combined, I think, turn the desire to be seen, um, which is a really good and beautiful desire. And I think if you watch closely throughout your life, throughout probably throughout your day, you'll see little glimpses of, I think that was a pure desire in me, or I think that was a pure desire in her to be seen and to draw someone to herself. But um, because we're sinful and because we're locked out of the garden, they're so, um, they're, it, it's so frequent that that desire would turn in on ourselves. So um, if Nirmal, talk, Nirmal talked about core fears, and he said that the core fear of a man is weightlessness, um, and I think the core fear of women is invisibility. Um, so what do I mean when I say invisibility? Basically, no one will see me or want me. Or even worse than that, the fear that someone would see me and notice me, but not like what they see and move away from me. So either the invisibility of 
goodness, no one sees me, or, oh my goodness, someone has seen me, and they're moving away from me. I, I desire to be seen, and that, that would draw people to me, but being seen is actually pushing people away from me, um, which I think is a woman's greatest fear. Um, so you've probably, I mean, looking around the room, there's lots of women in this room. Um, it might look really different. It, it, I'm not saying, you know, we're all afraid that we'll never get married or we're all afraid that um, we'll gray prematurely, although I'm really scared of that. Um, but I actually already am gray. <laughs> um, but I think that it's going to look different across um, different stories and different personalities, but I really do think if we're honest with ourselves, we felt it. And whether that be from a friend or a friend group or a parent, or a sibling, or someone you've dated, or someone you've liked, or someone you wish would like you, I think the feeling of, what if I'm invisible? What if I'm not seen? Um, what if they saw me, or I know they saw me, and they rejected me? I think that's a fear, if we're honest with ourselves, that um, we felt probably most of our life. Um, so I actually just wanted to share a little bit about my story of feeling invisible, because I feel like, <laughs> thanks. Um, because I feel like um, it's something that we don't talk about a lot, and um, I, think it's, I think it's a good thing. And it, you guys are in the room, so I feel like um, you get a little glimpse into what um, Anne has felt like as a woman, just for free. But, um, but I feel like if I were just talking to you girls, I would say, like, we can all tell these stories. We can all tell these stories of feeling invisible and um, when it happened or how over the years it's happened, and I just thought, I, I want to tell you guys what it's felt like for me, and maybe there's things that you can relate to, or maybe there's things that you're like, huh, she feels invisible in that way. My way feels really different, but it reminded me of this, and so I just wanted to share with you the story of my life and ways across my life I felt invisible. So um, <laughs> I, I always felt like kind of a strange little girl. Um, I never really fit, <laughs> I'm, I'm just laughing because I'm just thinking of, so many things, but I never really fit in with um, girls around me. So I feel like God cruelly put a 100-year-old person inside of my body when I was born, and everything that I liked and gravitated towards um, was more similar to that of my grandparents than my peers. So just a couple examples. So girls around me were playing soccer and going to soccer camp and reading. Does anyone know what Babysitter's Club is? Does anyone know? Okay. Yes, okay. So, well, I didn't read it. Um, but um, all the girls around me were reading it. And they were painting their nails with glitter nail polish. And there were just so many, like, normal things that my friends were doing. And I just didn't really have any interest in it. I was, while they were doing all that, I was going to ballet classes multiple times a week. I was actually reading Charles Dickens by about age eight. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Homeschooled, guaranteed. Um, so... Um, and I also, I was obsessed with books about Victorian architecture. So my mom would drop me off at the library. I didn't go with any friends because, I mean, obviously. So, um, and I would just be buried in these old books. And, and there's just so many other things that I could share. There's, a lot of them are too embarrassing. But I just, I was a, kind of a weird little kid. I, um, yeah, I was just really different. And I feel like my whole life I was just thinking, I, I know I'm a little weird. And I just want to be seen and for someone not to think I'm strange. Um, and I think that, like, this fear kind of haunts us. And, and that's, I mean, 
that's one part of my story, but I know that if I gave Mike to any girl, she'd be like, yeah, this is how I felt invisible. This is what it was like for me. Um, on, on top of being such a weirdo, um, I kind of felt like I thought more like a boy than a girl. So people would call me prissy because, you know, I took ballet classes and I always wore dresses and I read old books. But then weirdly, I felt, even though I looked very prissy on the outside, I felt more more like my brain was wired like a guy, just because I didn't really want to talk about crushes, I didn't really want in on the drama of things, I didn't really want to talk about who was friends with who. I, I kind of just wanted to talk about ideas and the things that I was learning and joke. Um, that was how I wanted to interact with the world, and so I felt more at home interacting with guys because I felt like, oh, we're talking about ideas and we're joking around, and I didn't really feel like I connected with girls my age. So two kind of strange ways where I just felt like I, I want to be seen for who I am, but I just don't feel like anyone's going to really see me and want me. Um, so then, um, kind of fast forward, that was Anne as a strange little girl. Um, I went to college and graduated, and I kind of always had this dream of, like, I really want to get married when I'm young. Um, part of that's a homeschool thing. <laughs> Everyone gets married young if you're homeschooled. It's just sort of this unspoken rule. So um, I really thought, like, man, I'd love to get married young. And I went through college, and I didn't get married. And I was out of college, and I wasn't dating anyone. And then a lot of my friends, actually most of my friends, got married in their early 20s. And so year after year went by. And I was, I was single until I was 28. And um, in a lot of ways, I felt like my arms were sort of open to the world of like, I'd love to get married. <laughs> um, but I think that what it felt like was year after year rejection, even though it wasn't rejection from a specific person. I just felt like I feel invisible because I feel like my arms are open to the world. And I don't know if anyone sees me and wants me. Or people see me and they're like, no thanks. So I think the, the, my story, um, and that's just, I mean, those are like three um, points in my life. Um, or a couple of points in my life where I felt invisible. But the crazy thing that I always told myself is, if I could find someone that understood me, then I would not feel invisible. Whether that be a best friend, or maybe especially if I got married, then I wouldn't feel so invisible. Um, and the crazy thing is, I, I did get married eventually. And I actually found someone that knew that I was pretty strange, that I had very strange interests and was an old soul. Um, he actually listened to my ideas. And he, I think he liked them. <laughs> he married me. Um, and he would laugh at my jokes, and he would debate ideas with me. And the crazy thing is, I got married, and to my horror, I realized that he still didn't see me as much as I wanted to be seen. And, like, I love him. I feel like I have actually a really, really good marriage. And um, I realized that this quest that I'd had my whole life to be seen. Um, it didn't end when I got married, and it didn't end when someone understood me, and it didn't end when I felt really seen, more seen than I'd ever felt by another human being, but there was something deeper in me that I felt like it's not hitting it. And, um, whew, sorry. Um, and, I, and I really do feel like that I have an amazing husband. I feel like I have a good marriage, but it's crazy that even a good marriage isn't hitting my heart isn't making me feel as seen as I want to feel. Um, and the thing that I would say to you girls is I, I know that my story is different than yours. If you were homeschooled and weird and 
um, think more like a boy, let's talk after. <laughs> um, but I know that your story is probably different than mine. Um, but I know there's part of you that so badly wants to be seen and feels like I'm interacting with the world with open arms and does anyone see, does anyone see me? And I want to draw people to myself, um, but it's not working the way that I'd hoped. And um, I think there's a lot of ways that that deep desire um, in us as women, there's a lot of ways we take that and then we try to cope. Normal talked about this with the guys. Um, I think there's a lot of hope in who Jesus is. We're going to get that to that in a second. But um, I want to talk about some of the ways I think we cope with the feeling that I want so badly to be seen and nothing's working. So um, two ways that we cope. One is we demand to be seen. So you feel invisible. You're opening your arms to the world and um, no one's coming. So a good way to cope with that is to demand that you're seen. So we're so afraid of, it, afraid of invisibility that we demand or manipulate to be seen rather than inviting. Because inviting risks that you might be rejected. But demanding and manipulating ensures that you won't be rejected. Um, so we put ourselves in positions where we have to be seen. And that can play out in so many different ways. Um, it could be, he'll have to look at me if I wear this. That's a way to demand being seen. Or if I'm successful and powerful enough, then they'll listen to my ideas. Then they'll see me. Or I know he studies here, so if I study here too, then he'll have to see me. Or I'm going to be competitive in the way that I um, engage with my sport. So I'm going to be a really competitive person, and then they'll have to notice me. I just think there's so many different ways that you can demand being seen and demand that someone draw, draw near to you. Um, that I think is a cheap way to cope. I don't think it's a deep enough answer to what we're looking for. The second way that we cope is we actually hide more. Um, so we feel invisible. We feel like no one sees us. But if no one moves towards me and I make myself feel more invisible or if I make myself more in the shadows, then it's my control that no one sees me. So if I don't feel like I'm seen, but then I stand behind a pole, whose fault is it that I'm not being seen? <laughs> it's my fault. And I think that that can be a way that we feel like we're in control of our invisibility is by making ourselves more invisible. So a way that would play out is we stick to ourselves. We don't really engage in the way that we want. Um, another way that we hide more is we aren't honest about how we feel or who we really are. So we can't be rejected for who we really are if no one knows who we really are, so we hide. Um, another way that we um, flesh this out is we avoid the very people we want to accept us. So if I want this person to like me, but I just don't interact with them, how can they reject me? And I think that that's something I've done a lot, is thinking, I think that person's really cool, I just won't talk to them. <laughs> and um, it's a way to control. Um, and you can't get rejected by someone you don't engage with. So I think those are two ways that we cope. There's probably a lot of other ways. If you think of other ways, you should tell me. Um, but those are the two main ones that I thought of. Um, so then how does Christ restore gender? Um, I'll go to that in a second. So the way that Jesus restores gender um, is a little bit backwards. The way that he steps into our core fears is not exactly what we hoped. So our core fear is that we would be seen and that we would be rejected or that we wouldn't be seen at all. And Jesus does see you, 
but it's a little bit more than what you bargained for. It's not exactly um, like um, a romantic movie. It's actually better, but it's a little bit different. So um, I want to unpack a story really quick, and it's a little bit long. I'll try to read through it really fast, but I think there's a point in here. I think there's something about the way Jesus sees this woman that's really helpful for me. Um, I'll just read it. So it says, and a great crowd. So actually, let me just give a little context. So Jesus is um, asked by a man to come heal his daughter. And so he and his disciples are on their way to go heal this girl. And they're kind of pushing through a crowd. So it says, a great crowd followed him and thronged around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, or gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? <laughs> kind of being a little sassy with Jesus, in my opinion. Um, and he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So you see in this passage, this woman has been really sick for a long time. So... Um, it says that she had, had, had a discharge of blood for many years. So um, I think something that helps us understand the story a little bit better is to know that in Jewish culture, if you were bleeding, so if you were on your period, if there was a sense that you were bleeding, um, you were considered unclean. And so for a woman to be um, having a flow of blood for years would mean that she was unclean for years. And what uncleanliness meant is social isolation. And God actually set that up for really good reasons that I don't have time to unpack right now. But um, if you were unclean, you were outside from your friends. You weren't living in your home. You weren't, you weren't allowed to touch anyone. Otherwise, you made them unclean. And so this isn't just like this is a chronic illness that she can't find answers for, which is bad enough. Um, that's a horrible situation to be in, and there's actually some of you in this room that are in that situation. A chronic illness is very demoralizing, and you start to lose hope over time. And this is where she is. She's lost hope, and on top of losing hope, she's socially isolated. And so um, if anyone would have the desire to cope with their feeling of invisibility by being even more invisible, it would be her. Because every time that she would be around people, people would know that she was unclean, and would move away from her. So it makes a lot of sense why when she comes up to Jesus, she's approaching him from behind because she's been invisible for a long time, and I'm guessing she wants to remain invisible. And so the, the part of this passage I think is so powerful um, is that Jesus, when he says, who touched my garments, what do we know about Jesus? He's all-knowing. He knows everything. So when he's saying, who touched my garments, like, come on, Jesus, you know who touched your garments, you're God. Um, but what he's doing is he's saying, she feels invisible, and I want to see her. Um, and I think that 
the, the desire of every woman is to be seen as beautiful and to be moved towards, but there was nothing beautiful in her. She was um, suffering, she was hopeless, she was embarrassed, she was full of shame, and it says that he looked around to see who had done it. And so he brings that he turns to her and he looks at her and he brings the woman to himself and he engages her and he calls her daughter and he says, your faith has made you well. And so I think that was what this shows us about Jesus is that our desire is to be seen, our desire is to be seen by um, someone that would find us lovely and beautiful and that person would move towards us. Um, but the amazing thing is that Jesus turns towards her, and what does he see in her? He sees everything. He doesn't just see her beauty. He doesn't just see the good things about her. He sees her sickness. He sees her need. He sees her hurt. Um, and there shouldn't have been anything in her that draws um, Jesus to her. So um, the astounding thing about Jesus is that although there was nothing in her that should draw her to him, draw him to her, <laughs> either one. Um, actually, there was a lot of beautiful in Jesus. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. There was nothing in the woman that should have drawn Jesus to her, and yet he turns to her, and he moves towards her. And there's actually so many Bible stories um, with Jesus interacting with women where this happens. Um, there's the woman at the well who has tons of sexual sin and a lot of shame in her life, and Jesus sees it, and he calls it out, and he moves towards her in love. There's Martha, who is um, a very tired housewife, and, well, I don't know if she's a wife, but she was a house worker. <laughs> she, she stayed at home, and she served, and she was busy, and Jesus moved towards her in love and saw her for who she was. So there's lots of stories of Jesus seeing women who actually don't have a lot of beauty in them, and he still moves towards them. And I think this is our story, too. Um, I think that that desire in me that's kind of plagued me my whole life, like I just want someone to see me, I want someone to not think I'm strange or someone to listen to my ideas, like if I really thought about it, like I wouldn't want to be seen. Like there are so many things in my life that I'm so ashamed of and there's so many moments in my life that I wouldn't want anyone to look on. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he sees everything. And so what we want from the world is we want, see me as beautiful, see me as interesting, see me as smart, see me as inviting and move towards me. But the amazing thing about Jesus is he sees us as broken. And he sees us for who we really are in our darkest moments and our moments of shame. He sees, um, and it's a terrifying thing, but he sees it all. And he still moves towards us. He moves towards us anyway. And the the thing, is, the thing that brings me a lot of comfort and a lot of joy is that he didn't just turn towards me, he didn't just look at me, but it took the cross to get to me. He had to suffer the cross um, in order to look at me and not look at me in anger because he should have been mad at me. There's so many things I've done that um, are not in line with what God desires for my life, but the fact that Jesus can look at me with a smile is because he um, was lifted up. Um, he was hung on the cross so that um, all men could be drawn to him, and including me. Um, and I just think that that's more than we bargain for when we, um, when we want to be seen. And so the message of Christ brings the answer to our core fear. Um, we want to be seen. And we want to be seen in a, in a way that 
nothing on earth can quite give us. I want to be seen to the bottom. I want to be seen for the real me and be moved towards. But only a God that would be full of forgiveness and grace um, would be able to look me actually into the core of who I am and still, and still want me. Um, so for you women in the room, I just want you to know, I've said this a million times, but he sees you. And there really is no amount of ugliness or shame or fear or unbelief in you um, that would stop him from coming after you. And it, we, sang, we sang that last night. Like, there is nothing that's going to stop him from coming after you and from seeing you. And I just think that's a really, really comforting thing for me. Um, he sees me in a way that um, nothing on earth, like, there's no, um, there's no thing on earth that I can experience that's going to hit me as deep as a God who sees all of me and still wants me. Um, so the last thing really quick is um, what his seeing you frees you to. So, number one, it turns your gaze from looking to the people around you to see you enough um, to God who has seen you fully and loved you. So, rather than saying, I want to be seen, I'm looking to friendships, to success, to beauty, to men, to, to feel seen. Um, when Jesus sees you, it turns your gaze to him, and him seeing you um, is enough. And it doesn't, just as a clarifier, it doesn't mean you don't desire to be seen by those around you, because I think that could be a really simplistic way to think about it. Like, Jesus sees me. I don't care what anyone thinks. Um, but I actually think that would be a wrong way to view it, because I, I really do think that we image God by wanting people to move towards us. I think that's actually a really good desire. And so to be a warm woman who invites friends into her friend group that she didn't know before, like, that's imaging God. And I think to want to draw people to yourself, to want to be seen is actually a way that you reflect God. But you're not asking that that meet your deepest need because Jesus has already met your deepest need. And so it actually frees you up to invite and welcome in a way freer way because you're not asking that that thing meet your deepest need, which I think is very helpful. Um, and it actually, I think it makes you more relationally free in general because when you want to be seen more than anything, it just sort of puts a lot of weight on every relationship that you have. Because if what I want more than anything is to be fully known and seen and understood and moved towards, that just means the friendships that I have, my marriage, anyone in my life, my family, is just going to have this weight that they have to meet my deepest need of being seen. And the cool thing about trusting in Jesus is you have that met. And so it frees you to still want those things, but not in a way that demands that they um, fulfill you in all the ways you've ever dreamed. Um, and then lastly, rather than just inviting people to yourself, um, which is, again, which can be a really good thing, you're inviting people to yourself in order that you together can look at the beauty of Jesus. And I think about, like, we talked a lot about the word reflecting, like you reflect God. And there's something about reflecting, like, reflect, like, if I am looking in a pool, my, I'm bending down and I'm looking in the water and my image is there, and then my image is looking back at me. And I think there's an element of reflection. There's, there's two parts to reflection. And so if I'm saying, I'm reflecting God by wanting to be seen, that's, it's only one, that's only one part. And I think the, the fullest picture is saying, I want to draw people to myself. I want to be invitational. I want to be warm. I want to be inviting. And I want them through that to see who God is and what he's like. And I think that's a better way to reflect. That's a fuller way to reflect. And so I think that... Um, the fullest picture of a redeemed woman is a woman who invites and then wants to, with the people that she's inviting, draw them um, and, and cause their gaze to look upward like hers is at Jesus who, who really sees. So 
Um, I'm going to pray, and then Nirmal and I are going to transition into a Q&A. So I'm going to pray really quick. Um, God, thank you that you see us, and thank you for the fact that no amount of ugliness, um, no amount of ugliness in us will stop you from coming after us. And I thank you for um, even the song that we sang where the women sang, let your glory fill the earth, and the men saying, you will reign forever. And I thank you for creating men and women, women to say, God is beautiful. Join me in seeing his beauty. And for men to say, I want to move towards this world with purpose and with, with um, meaning, and, and I want to make an impact. I just thank you that we have the honor of showing the world a little bit of what you're like. And I just pray that you would free us up to understand how deeply Jesus um, answers our core fears, and that would free us up to to love you and interact with the world in freedom. So we love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, actually, why don't you all take a two-minute break and then come back in here. Oh, my gosh. Emphasis break. <laughs> Seriously, ready, right? Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at clminneapolis.org.